The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Our episode today is being brought to you in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. Uh, Nutrition and exercise are two factors that uh, people do have some control of during their cancer journey. Our guests today are two experts that have dedicated their careers to educating people on the importance of a healthy and active lifestyle, especially as it relates to cancer. I just want to note uh, that before embarking on any diet or exercise program, you should first Consult with your doctor. Consult with your uh, healthcare team. It's important uh, that you do that. We're going to share some great information today. But uh, if you're thinking about starting a new program, please talk to your doctor. I'm very pleased to have with us today nutrition expert Alice Bender. Uh, and a little later in the show, we'll be joined by fitness expert Carol Michaels. Alice Bender is the Associate Director of the American Institute of Cancer Research and has provided nutrition education and counseling for over 25 years. She translates the science of cancer prevention through diet, weight, and physical activity into practical advice. Through AICR's Health Professionals Program, she helps providers in many settings stay up to date on how the research on lifestyle decisions links to cancer prevention and survivorship. Welcome to the show, Alice. Thank you. Um, Alice, let's start by um, telling our listeners a little bit about your great organization, the American Institute of Cancer Research. Can you tell us a little bit about AICR, what you guys do there? Sure, that's great. At AICR, really our mission and our passion is to help people lower their risk for cancer through everyday choices about what to eat and how much to move. Our focus is is on diet and physical activity and weight and how those lifestyle factors impact risk for uh, a number of cancers. We fund research, we interpret the evidence, and we use those conclusions and recommendations um, to help educate Americans and um, health professionals like doctors, nurses, RDs, you know, your healthcare team about the steps that we can all take to reduce our risk. Um, we know that around 374,000 cases of cancer per year could be prevented, and, and it's about 13 different cancers that are affected by diet and weight and physical activity. But we know if, if every American were to choose um, you know, a healthier lifestyle, we could prevent a lot of cancer cases. Um, 
Say so, that number. Say that number again, Alice. How it, many it's cancers? It's around three hundred seventy-four thousand cases of cancer every year. And if people were, you know, were at a healthy, if everyone were at a healthy weight, if they ate a healthy diet and stayed physically active, um, that's our estimate in terms of, you know, the number of cases that wouldn't have to happen here in the U.S. Okay, so let's drill down. Uh, let's drill down on that a little bit. I think this is. This is a topic that we could spend days <laughs> talking about, and I can tell you, Alice, and you know this, but it's a topic that our listeners have a great interest in, and I and uh, I know we are limited in our time together, so I want to make sure we get to some of the core uh, core issues. And in a few minutes, we're going to share with you some questions from some of our followers on on Facebook and Twitter, and and um, and have you answer those specifically. But let's start with a broader question. Tell us at AICR and in, in, in the world of, of of cancer and nutrition, what are you learning? Um, about nutrition as it relates to cancer. I mean, I think you just threw out a pretty staggering statistic yeah. <laughs> about cancers that could be prevented just based yeah. on, on, on diet and exercise. Tell us a little bit more about that science. What do we know and, and, and sort of what's the link between diet and exercise and cancer? Okay. Well, you know, there's been about 30 years of research. We uh, AICR started in, in 1982, and at that time it was considered a little bit crazy to think that, that these factors might have you know, anything to do with cancer risk. So over the years, we've really seen some exciting research in that area. You know, early on in the 1980s and the 1990s, the research really focused on food components, um, things like, you know, the mineral selenium, um, fiber, uh, broccoli and sulforaphane, so, so uh, uh, phytochemical in broccoli, lycopene and tomatoes. I think a lot of people would be familiar with that, and, and resveratrol and grapes. Those were some of the food components that researchers were looking at, looking at in the lab with animal studies and finding that they were doing some pretty amazing things in cells. But, you know, as, as the research went on and by 2000, um, the 2000, you know, early 2000s, new research was really finding links that were broader than that, looking at things like um, body fat and how that affected cancer risk and, and learning about red meat and alcohol. And at that point, interest in physical activity was growing as well. And so, so what they were finding was that these components were really interesting, but it was really probably the way that they work together in the whole foods. And so now we've sort of come back to let's look at whole foods. Um, you know, for a while people were thinking maybe supplements would be helpful, but that mm-hmm. was, that research has been sort of disappointing. And, you know, in looking at, um, the overall body of literature, it seems to be pointing to really it's our overall diet. It's what we eat day in and day out. And that a plant-based diet um, and eating whole foods and, you know, trying to eat in a really healthy way, keep yourself at a healthy weight and be active, that these are really the things that link to lower cancer risk. So it's not that those components, those food components aren't important. It's just that you know, by themselves, they, they aren't going to do anything. We need them. We need sort of the synergy of our whole diet of, of eating mm-hmm. foods together. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so that's... Let's, so let's um, drill down. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's, I think it's really helpful, uh, Alice, in terms of, you know, just trying to make these, um, understand that, that, you know, the connections and the fact that there is a lot of data, a lot of research, a lot of literature to support these connections that you're... Um, um, that you're describing. I, uh, let's 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 uh, let's break it down a little bit further. Kind of you know unpack this idea of really you know what what are the major components of a healthy diet? I, uh, you, you you keep using the term whole foods, and I think people think of maybe a, that you know kind of a fancy supermarket that, <laughs> that oh, oh, uh, you know. And so you know, I think that, <laughs> no, that uh, you know you talk we talk about broccoli, we talk about grapes, market. we talk about you know. Can you break down? Can we break down a little bit? You know, what are 
the these these sort of essential and major components of a of a healthy diet. How do people start to think about that? What are some of the specific things that people can try to incorporate um, into their diet to achieve some some of that uh, healthier lifestyle? Right. Okay. So we know, um, based on our recommendations, which is is based on the evidence, we know that um, when I talk about a plant based diet, what I'm really talking about is is a diet with plenty of fruits and vegetables, uh, whole grains beans, legumes, nuts, those kinds of things, um, with a limited amount of animal foods in your diet. And we have a great visual image that we use to help tell people about this diet. We call it the New American Plate. Um, It's been around for about 15 years, and it's a great way to just, you know, you can look at your plate and you can see what a healthy cancer preventive diet looks like. And what, you know, the, the way that we explain it is, Fill at least two-thirds of your plate with these plant foods like fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, and and, uh, nuts. For example, you might put on your plate, you might have a a green salad with mixed vegetables in there. You might um, include a whole grain pasta that is mixed with, you know, some summer vegetables right now. You might want to look for zucchini and tomatoes and eggplant Mm. and basil. And so those foods would take up most of the plate. And then that leaves, you know, a third or less of your plate for things like fish or chicken or if you want to eat a little red meat. If you are not a meat eater, you could add a bean dish or a lovely lentil loaf or something like that um, to, to really round that out. So that's a really easy way to just take a look at your plate and say, is this a healthy diet? Is this a good diet that will you know help lower my risk for cancer? Mm-hmm. And along with that, it's really important to, to try to stick with foods that are mostly um, unprocessed or, or minimally processed. So fresh foods um, fre- or plain frozen vegetables and fruits. You might even look for some canned foods without a lot of added salt or added sugar. In, in short, try to keep foods as close to the original form as possible. Um, not everybody, everything needs to be raw or, you know, exactly as it comes, but um, just trying to limit the amount of foods that have a lot of extra added calories to it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then when it comes to beverages, things like, you know, water, unsweetened tea, coffee, things that don't have a lot of added um, sugars to them as well, and limit things like sugary drinks because we know that those contribute to mm-hmm. overweight and obesity. And then just uh, quickly, Alice, within within that plant-based diet, are there certain let's say fruits or vegetables that we know have, you know, that we know are, are better at sort of keeping us healthy or fighting cancer than, than others are, you know, are there certain specific, is there a list of foods within that plant-based diet that we should think about or focus on? Well, really looking for, uh, you know, trying to get as many colors in your diet as possible is a great way to think about that. And we talk about non-starchy vegetables um, because they are lower in calories. So things like, as I mentioned, like greens and um, tomatoes and carrots, those kinds of things that, um, you know, don't, don't have a lot of um, starch in them. Now, there's mm-hmm. d- definitely room for starchy foods, too, but if you can try to focus on the really colorful, um, non-starchy vegetables, that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me ask you, um, we've got about two minutes until our, uh, until our first break coming up here, Alice, but um, I know there's a lot of debate on whether it's worth the money to, fo- to, to, to buy food that's listed as organic um, as opposed to non-organic. I know sometimes it's hard to find. I know it costs more. Can you shed any light on this? Is it worth the extra money um, to, to go for that organic food or can you be just as healthy without it? Yeah, well, 
we, we don't really know whether choosing organic foods is going to help you reduce, reduce your cancer risk any more than, than the non-organic counterparts. Um, we do know that a, a diet with lots of vegetables and fruits do lower your risk and help with a healthy weight. So the most important thing is to get those foods into your diet. Um, if, you know, if you do feel like for whatever reason you want to eat organic foods and, and cost is a factor, which it definitely is, um, there, there is a, a website um, put up by the Environmental Working Group. Um, it's called, uh, I think the website is ewg.org, and they have a really nice shopper's guide to pesticides and produce, and they list fruits and vegetables that are, have tested highest for pesticide residues and those that have tested lowest. So you can go there and, you know, look at if there are some of those fruits and vegetables that you normally eat that don't have a lot of pesticide residues, and you just buy the, the conventionally grown ones. And, you know, if you want to save your dollars for a few fruits and vegetables that, that might be better to, to, to choose organic, you can do that. And so they have a lot of great information there. Um, but even they say that the benefits of eating any fruits and vegetables outweighs any risks that you might have um, from the pesticide residues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they give you some instructions on how to wash and prepare your yeah, vegetables, that's, things that's like that. Yeah, important too. Yeah, just wash, yeah. wash everything. That's mm-hmm. definitely true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, I think we're, we're we're into a great conversation here. We're, we just we have to take a quick break. Um, this is uh, uh, frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking with Alice Bender. She's the um, associate uh, director at the American Institute of Cancer. Uh, research. She has provided nutrition and education counseling uh, for over 25 years. We're going we're gonna to take a break and come back with Alice. And then a little bit later in the show, we'll be joined by fitness expert Carol Michaels to talk about uh, the sort of fitness side of this conversation and some of the lifestyle uh, opportunities and, and changes that folks can make to live a healthy life. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The cancer support community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our episode today is being brought to you in part by Azi, Genentech, and Amgen. Uh, earlier this month, our social media team reached out to ask what nutrition questions our followers on Facebook and Twitter have, and we got a lot of responses, a lot of interest um, in this topic. And uh, so during this next segment, I want to turn to Alice and, and uh, ask her if she might answer a few of those questions that came in from our Facebook and Twitter um, followers. Um, Alice, let's get started. Um, uh, I'm going to share a question from Perry, who wrote to us. Um, is there any reason to go out of my way to buy and eat things like goji or acai berries, or is a quote-unquote normal diet of whole grains, fruits, veggies, and, and, and lean meat um, supportive enough to my health? And I think Perry you know, makes a good point. We're always seeing on the news and on these different TV shows and in the newspaper, oh, this is the, the, the next greatest thing to prevent cancer or to live healthy or to lose weight or or, um, you know, what do we know about some of those things, Alice, and, and, and how do we keep track of the facts? Yeah, okay. So the short answer is it's not necessary to purchase those exotic foods for, for good health. Um, you know, the superfoods are what we have. We actually have everything we need in the produce aisle, and they, they, those are the superfoods, the fruits and the vegetables. Um, the produce aisle, the frozen food case, and in some cases the canned food, foods aisle. You know, we can, they're really recognizable and, and inexpensive foods like tomatoes and carrots and leafy greens. They're apples and cabbages and sweet potatoes and berries. All those foods are easy to find and often can be grown locally. Um, and, you know, and we've, we're familiar with them. We know how to prepare those. So let's start by, you know, eating the foods that we have easily available and affordable to us. Those are really, um, you know, most Americans aren't eating enough of those. So let's get more of those in our diet. You know, those, they're all packed with vitamins and fiber and, and uh, plant chemicals called phytochemicals, which are natural chemicals in plants that can promote health in a number of ways. And in addition to that, you know, whole grains, uh, you know, there's a lot of fancy new um, whole grains out there, which are, are fun to try. But really, we have oats, we have brown rice and whole wheat and barley that are readily available and easy to find. Also, we don't eat enough of those. So, you know, starting with what we have available would be a great a great mm-hmm. thing to do. And, you know, think, it is yeah. fun to explore new foods. And, and if you want yeah. to add new things to, you, to your diet, certainly try that. Um, yeah. Make the foods work for you. But right. your overall diet should be one that you can prepare, that you enjoy, that you can easily find and afford day in and day out. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's good advice. Yeah. Obviously, uh, obviously, Alice, you know, I, many of our Facebook friends and, and, and followers are currently undergoing 
cancer treatment and are asking us uh, about you know diets and 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 food that may help them fight uh, you know fight the kind of cancer that they may be battling. Um, so, what should people know about diet as it relates to battling cancer and 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 managing through their you know cancer treatment? And again, what are some sources where folks can find reliable information on this? Okay. So when, when people are undergoing treatment, it's really, really important that they work with their healthcare team and, and talk with, with them about what they should be eating. And hopefully they have a registered dietitian that's familiar with oncology on their team to help them find the best foods and, and the best diet for them. Um, certainly different treatments and different kinds of cancers are going to affect your ability to eat in many different ways. Um, your taste can change, and, you know, I don't have to tell your listeners this, I'm sure, but ability to swallow and digest mm-hmm. food, all those things change when you're in treatments. And it, it is important to try to stay nourished as much as possible. If you can use, um, you know, the normal foods that you eat, that's great, but sometimes you're going to need some special foods or some supplements or some special products just to help with calorie and, and nutrient needs. So really getting individual help from a health professional is the way to go. Um, but, you know, it's also important to, to have family and friends understand that as well and to support mm. you in that. Sometimes just having them help you prepare foods and, and get the things that you need. There's some misconception about what people need. And so educating your family and friends is, is an yeah. important way to, to go with mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that yeah. um, and I would just say, you know, places to go to look for information um, we have a nutrition during cancer treatment and a cancer resource, a couple of booklets that are available to people to help them get started. Um, and they can get free copies of these books um, from our website. Um, and we also have a book by a registered and tell dietitian. Us, tell us the website, Alice, so folks oh, okay. can write that down. AIC, yep. I'm sorry, AICR.org. Or they can call 1-800-843-8114 and um, extension 80 and ask for those booklets, Nutrition During Cancer Treatment Mm -hmm. and Cancer Resource. Great, great. And that's um, AICR.org if folks are describing Right. And, and then another, um, another great source is cancer.gov. There's an eating hints booklet from the National Cancer Institute, which they can find there. And then oncologynutrition.org is the oncology dietetics practice group from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And they have a lot of wonderful information on their website as well. Mm. Um, let me jump to another question from one of our Facebook uh, followers here. This is from Marie who wrote, um, what cooking methods destroy cancer-fighting compounds in foods? And then she goes on to a second question. Can the separation of fats and carbs in meals contribute to lower cancer risk? I think there's a re- two really great questions. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us for a minute quickly, Alice, about cooking okay. methods and then, and then what we eat and how we eat it together. Does that matter? Okay. So basically, the cancer-fighting compounds in our food really act differently. So there's really no one answer to that first question. I mean, we know, for example, that heat destroys some vitamin C and that B vitamins you lose in in water. So, you know, keeping minimal cooking times is important. Um, But we also know that when you cook tomatoes, it makes the lycopene in there more available to our body. Um, And that eating a little bit of fat with um, vegetables that are high in carotenoids can help your body absorb those carotenoids. So, Really, the, I would say the bottom line to that question is to just eat your foods um, in a variety of ways. Eat, eat some raw, eat some cooked. Try to keep them lightly cooked. Don't boil them to death. Um, don't use too high a heat. And, you know, by getting a variety and eating a mixture of foods together, you really do, like I said earlier, it's really a synergy of foods working together. So there's 
no evidence that separating those um, foods that are high in fats and foods that are high in carbs would would um, help lower cancer risk. And eating things together may actually help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's go to a question that came in from Maria. Um, who wrote, I read a lot on the subject of nutrition, avoid GMO, microwave cooking, canned foods. Um, how do you reconcile all of this? Eating healthy has become quite a chore. Um, <laughs> and I think that probably many of our listeners do agree with that. It is. It just seems like there's a new headline every day. I think it really is hard um, for, for, uh, you know, for folks to, to, to keep up with that. But I, li- I, I want to go specifically to her question about microwaving. Do we know anything about microwaving food, microwaving food in plastics, and, and, and uh, any, any tips or any, you know, what's the data tell us on that? Yeah, we, we don't really have any, um, you know, any research in that area to, to, to talk about whether microwave cooking, I mean, I, I don't think the evidence is there to say that mm-hmm. it, it is harmful. Obviously, using the right kinds of materials are, are important for that, so using microwave-safe um, um, bowls and things would, would certainly be important. But really, eating healthy should not be a big chore. And, and headlines are interesting, and the studies are interesting, but by themselves, you know, that's it, you can't change your diet based on one study. You really want to look at the overall evidence. And um, it sounds like Maria is really working hard to take care of herself, and mm. sorting through the confusing information is hard. But there are some really great places to get information. Um, our website is one, AICR.org. But also um, some of the great newsletters that are out there that you can subscribe to or find online, the Harvard Health Newsletter, um, the Environmental Nutrition Newsletter, uh, Berkeley Wellness. Um, MD Anderson has great information on their website, Tufts. Um, you know, just mm-hmm. a lot of sort of the larger organizations, research hospitals, they have great websites and information for, um, for general health, but also for cancer patients as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me ask you this, Alice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a, we've got a, a couple of minutes till our, um, okay. uh, till our break here, but we do get a lot of questions about um, meat, red meat versus chicken versus fish. Okay. Um, you know, what do we know about, you know, those, those different sources of protein and are some healthier than others? Are some bad for you? Or what do you have to watch out for between those three things, which are obviously common sources of protein in the, in the diet? Yeah, well, really one of our recommendations is to limit how much red meat, which is beef, pork, and lamb, to limit that in your diet to um, 18 ounces or less of cooked red meat per week. So, um, you know, that can be, you might eat a little a couple of ounces every day or you might, you know, have larger amounts three times a week. But if you eat red meat, to limit it to less, 18 ounces or less per week. Um, and then processed meat, things like bacon and sausage and ham and, um, you know, lunch meats, those things we, we encourage people to eat very rarely. I mean, avoid it, you know, or just eat on special occasions because that, if eaten regularly, does increase risk for colorectal cancer. And that's uh, the same thing with red meat. Too much red meat also increases risk for colorectal cancer. Um, our research looking at chicken and fish, we didn't find any increased risk for that, nor did we have we uh, yet found any, um, you know, decreased risk for including those foods in your diet. But, um, you know, they, they don't have that heme iron. That may be the, the risky factor for colorectal cancer. Um, so eating those, those foods for your protein sources most of the time, um, if you're not vegetarian, is a, is a great way to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then for those who are vegetarian, obviously those legumes, those beans are an important source of protein. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We've been having a great conversation with um, Alice Bender, who is the associate uh, director at the American uh, Institute of Cancer Research. Alice, we only have a just a quick minute until our break, but again, just to sort of um, uh, recap, you know, kind of top tips for folks as they're thinking about uh, nutrition and cancer. Okay, well, uh, I think, again, the easy way to, to sum that up is through our new American plate, which is uh, two-thirds of your plate filled with plant-based foods like vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, and a third or less if you eat animal foods to have uh, any kind of meat, fish, poultry, or dairy in that part. So really focus on the plant-based diet, uh, limit your red meat, your processed meat, and um, drink plenty of water and uh, low or no-calorie beverages. Right. And limit your alcohol, too. We didn't talk about that. But, oh, uh, yeah, limiting, we didn't. Limiting that, yeah. If you drink, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, to limit to one drink a day for women and two drinks a day for men. Great. Great great advice, Alice. We really uh, appreciate you uh, uh, joining us. Alice Bender is the Associate Director of the American Institute of Cancer Research. Check out their website at AICR. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be joined after the break by fitness expert Carol Michaels. She's going to talk to us about how to stay active uh, uh, during during and after cancer treatment and the importance of that. We will be right back with more after the break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, Visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, 
Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Company, and Purdue Pharma. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking to people who have dedicated their lives to the wellness of people living with cancer through both nutrition and exercise. We are now joined by Carol Michaels, who is the founder and creator of Recovery Fitness. Uh, Carol is a health and wellness expert with more than 17 years of experience as, and is committed to helping people improve their quality of life through physical activity. Her mission is to help people get fit and learn how to live healthy lifestyles during and after cancer treatment. Carol is an award-winning leader in the fitness industry and known for her unique, creative, and fun exercise programs. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, Carol, um, could you tell us a little bit more about um, what you do and, and what kind of clients you work with and really what motivated you to get into this world? Uh, yes. I'm a cancer exercise specialist, and I started off as a fitness professional almost 20 years ago, and I noticed at that time that cancer survivors want to recover from surgery and treatments and want to be able to return to the things that they enjoy. So with that in mind, I created the Recovery Fitness Cancer Exercise Program, and this program combines the most effective exercises from ballet, stretching, traditional strength training. The uh, exercise program is designed for all fitness levels and for most types of cancers after receiving medical clearance. So before anyone starts an exercise program, you must get clearance from your health professional. The exercise program that I do can be taught individually or in a small group format. And my small group format actually is very very unique because the camaraderie of the support of the group becomes a support group in effect and this makes taking care of health enjoyable and fun for example after a tram flap or a lat flap or other reconstructive surgery it's helpful to exercise with a group of people that have had similar initial concerns and limitations Oh, this, it's a great, that's a great context, Carol, for the conversation. Really interesting um, uh, information. Carol, tell us what, what we know about really why someone should exercise, um, you know, during their cancer experience, after their cancer experience as a survivor. What, what are the benefits? What do we know? What does the science tell us? Mm, yeah, well, it, uh, it, it tells us that they're just, it, there are really so many side effects from surgery and treatments that exercise can help. So there are just so many, so many benefits. For example, during and after treatment, many survivors are fatigued. There's just this persistent fatigue. They're weak. There are deficits in strength, loss of range of motion. Um, now all the studies have shown that during uh, chemotherapy, exercise can actually increase fitness and increase uh, energy levels. So that was really uh, important information. But before those studies were done, people would just really rest. And now um, it's proven that exercise can help uh, with the fatigue. That is so com- such a common side effect. 
exercise can increase strength, aerobic capacity, flexibility, and all, all the problems that go along with a cancer diagnosis. Um, uh, some of the other problems we see are uh, decrease in, in posture, balance, exercise can increase your strength and flexibility. So when uh, someone uh, starts an exercise program, we do a uh, range of motion measurement to see uh, how much flexibility is lost and uh, right away start with some flexibility training and relaxation breathing. We uh, then after range of motion is where it should be, we add the strength training to increase muscle mass because that is something which can decrease uh, after surgery and treatments. And we also do uh, many times see osteoporosis as a side effect. So, so exercise increases energy levels and endurance, and not only do you improve physically, but also mentally, because so many times stress, depression, anxiety, sleep disturbances go hand in hand with a cancer diagnosis. So this uh, also can be reduced with uh, exercise. And then there is the uh, weight control component, and uh, there is a correlation with uh, increased weight and increased cancer recurrence. So exercise helps in weight control, which is crucial uh, to a good uh, a good recovery. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, with all with all these benefits of exercise, it's so important for a cancer survivor to uh, make sure they do get into a good exercise program. Yeah, yeah. You know, Carol, we had a chance to reach out to our uh, Facebook and Twitter followers to see if they had any specific questions for you. And, you know, we learned that many of them are concerned about how to exercise if they've had, you know, maybe problems with their back, problems with their legs, maybe if they have had some surgery. Um, they, they sort of have this will and desire to start an exercise program, but um, they're concerned about, you know, how to do it safely. So how would you suggest approaching exercise in a safe way, especially if, you know, this is new to somebody and they've been through some of the effects of, of, of cancer and cancer treatment, um, but they really do want to get started? What's a safe way to get started? Right. So um, one of the first things to do first, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you really do need to have medical clearance and, uh, you know, make sure there aren't uh, any secondary issues. So, uh, for example, one uh, common uh, side effect uh, that we see uh, see very often is, uh, is neuropathy. And uh, that's basically a side effect. Uh, from from chemotherapy where there is damage to the nerves. It can be uh, really anywhere, typically in the arms or the legs. So one of the things we add is balance training. That really becomes a key uh, aspect of an exercise program and something that we try to add in right away because uh, the neuropathy can affect the toes and the feet, and balance can be affected. So we always have to modify exercises uh, to make sure they're safe. And, for example, if someone uh, is used to uh, walking on a treadmill as their aerobic exercise, we'll usually substitute that for a uh, stationary uh, stationary bicycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing we heard 
from our listeners, Carol, is that when you're living with cancer, just hearing the word exercise may make you panic. I mean, you talked about the fact that one of the more common side effects of um, uh, you know of cancer treatment is fatigue, and um, that you know traditionally we would have thought, well, if you're fatigued, you just rest. But we've learned that mm-hmm. sometimes exercise can be a good method to help you combat the fatigue. But when the just the idea of it seems so overwhelming to people. What, what, what do you say to these cancer survivors when they're just sort of starting out right. on a program, you know, want to incorporate that? Right. I know. When the people hear the word exercise, they immediately think of a difficult gym class or a boot camp. But, uh, you know, the exercises in my program are very, very gentle, very safe, and very effective, and they're not high, high intensity. So to really start moving after uh, surgery, the best thing is start walking, even if it's indoors. So I always recommend perhaps just uh, walk up and down the hall, walk around your, your house. This will help regain strength. When you're able to do that, go outside, perhaps walk uh, one house length, then uh, add, add a block. It's always ideal to uh, start with an exercise buddy. This way it will give you a little bit more confidence, especially if uh, fatigue is, uh, is an issue. But you start to uh, uh, walk a small distance, gradually increase. Uh, then also add relaxation breathing, which can be done anywhere. Uh, stress is such a big um, component of uh, a cancer diagnosis, so any type of relaxation exercise is very, very important. So um, uh, after uh, relaxation breathing, and after you start walking uh, and are able to at least walk for uh, 10 or 15 minutes, it's a good idea to start adding the stretching component to help uh, stretch out some of the areas that have been tightened and muscles that have been uh, shortened due to surgery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Carol, we've got just a couple of minutes to, until our um, until our break here, but um, one of the things that we hear sometimes from from cancer patients and survivors is that the cancer diagnosis was maybe a little bit of a of a wake up call, and that they see it as an opportunity to make certain lifestyle changes and 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 lifestyle you know adjustments. And so, obviously, there's both a physical and a psychological you know factor to what I'm describing. But do you see that those who've been diagnosed with cancer maybe are a very receptive audience to starting? Um, kind of starting an exercise program and maybe making some lifestyle changes that they think might be a little bit healthier? Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, sometimes it does take uh, cancer diagnosis uh, for a a wake-up call. And, you know, I've noticed that uh, as soon as cancer survivors realize that there is enough evidence out there to suggest that exercise can decrease the chance of recurrence when they understand uh, how important that is and how important uh, a healthy lifestyle is, they are motivated uh, to exercise. And what's really nice is I have seen people completely change their lifestyle and incorporate exercise into their uh, day-to-day activities. And, uh, you know, at first you just uh, try to break up the exercise sessions into smaller sessions if Mm -hmm. fatigue is an issue. Mm-hmm. And just uh, use your common sense, listen to the yeah. body, be physically active when you have the most energy, 
mm-hmm. uh, again, having a uh, walking buddy or a uh, exercise group is great for motivation and reinforcement. Great. I think it's it's just great, uh, great tips, great advice for our listeners. We're talking to Carol Michaels, who is the founder and creator of Recovery Fitness. Carol is a health and wellness expert with more than 17 years of experience and, and is committed to helping people uh, improve their quality of life through uh, through physical activity and really um, working quite a bit with cancer patients, uh, you know, during, through, and, and, and beyond uh, their cancer treatment. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've got a lot more to discuss with Carol about uh, cancer and exercise. So please uh, uh, don't go away. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This episode is being brought to you in part today by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program. Crystal Myers Squibb and Morphotech. Today we're talking to fitness expert Carol Michaels about staying active during and after cancer treatment. Um, Carol, there are certainly you know side effects of cancer 
and its treatment that could make being physically active um, a challenge. And we may have some folks who are just joining us now for uh, to hear the conversation. But can you tell us more about some of the more common side effects and the and the kinds of activities that can help, or how folks can really create? A, a specific program for them, even if they are dealing with some side effects. Yes. So uh, the uh, the side effects are are many. Um, I touched upon earlier. Fatigue is uh, one of the common side effects, mm-hmm. and um, to deal with that, it's all about listening to your own body and progress at your own pace. Uh, the other one that's uh, very common is osteoporosis and osteopenia, which uh, is a decrease in bone density. So one of the first things um, really to add is strength training because not only will strength training increase muscle mass, it stimulates the bone. So we want to increase the muscle mass so there's more of it pulling on the bone. So that really will help maintain uh, density. So another um, a- another area of fitness uh, for those who have osteoporosis is uh, weight-bearing aerobic exercises. So that means any type of exercise uh, where the weight of the body is transmitted through the bones. So that would be just even simply walking, dancing, hiking, uh, those are great weight-bearing exercises. So with all exercise, you just always start slowly, progress slowly, start with the lightest weight, and um, and uh, even if you, you used to do exercise with heavy weights, you really have to be patient and, mm-hmm. and start at the beginning and slowly add to the uh, intensity of the exercise. Uh-huh. The uh, other thing that's very important are people need to know, survivors, and anyone with osteoporosis needs to know that there are precautions to take for osteoporosis. So you really can't go, excuse me, go back to any exercise class because forward bending from the waist is contraindicated. That would actually be harmful, as is side bending and rotation. Uh, many times, um, someone can actually self-fracture by doing the wrong move. So when you have osteoporosis, it is important to understand what exercises will help and which Mm -hmm. ones could actually be harmful. Mm -hmm. Another very common side effect is lymphedema, and that's swelling of a body part. It's a Mm -hmm. disorder of the lymphatic system. Too much fluid accumulates in an area of the body that it has been damaged, um, be from surgery, radiation, um, and this causes this causes swelling. Uh, The good news is that studies suggest that regular exercise, even strength training, may decrease the risk of lymphedema or diminish the symptoms. Mm. So that is really important information, and um, you can really uh, keep the lymphedema under control using proper exercise techniques. Mm. And first you would start with working on your range of motion. So you start with stretches. Once you have your range of motion, you start by adding some strength training and is always aerobic component of exercise is is very very important. I usually recommend uh, Pilates exercises, of course modified for lymphedema, 
uh, to people suffering from lymphedema because of the way that you do Pilates exercises with a lot of deep breathing and a lot of um, uh, pressure of the abdominals down to the spine so we can stimulate lymph flow and lymphatic drainage. Uh, the abdominal area sometimes could act as a lymphatic system pump, moving the sluggish lymph fluid all over the body. And uh, also the deep breathing reduces stress. Mm-hmm. Wow. So much great information, Carol. It's hard to, it's almost hard to take it all in. Um, I know that you have uh, a new book available, which is exciting. Congratulations. Uh, uh, exercise for cancer survivors. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book and can you also tell our listeners how they can learn more about your programs and get in touch because we're, uh, oh. we're running out of time here okay. and I know our folks are saying, oh my God, how do I find this wonderful Carol? <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, I took my recovery fitness exercise program and created the book to help because cancer survivors always have questions about exercises. What exercises should I do? What should I avoid? Can I exercise during chemotherapy? What if I have lymphedema? So the book is a guide for those who prefer or need to exercise independently. The book um, provides cancer survivors with access to fitness tools created for their needs. So it's a really valuable tool, especially for those who cannot afford specialized exercise training or need to exercise at home. It's a very simple and affordable treatments. Um, the book can be found on my website, which is www.carolmichaelsfitness.com or recoveryfitness.net. And your listeners are welcome to email me with any questions they may have on exercise. My email is caroljmichaels at gmail.com. That's great. Very generous, Carol. We really uh, do appreciate that. Just uh, again, coming towards the end of the show, but quickly, Carol, uh, I know there are some people, you know, who live in areas that, that, uh, you know, where they may not have these kind of specialized exercise programs, or maybe their budget or schedule does not allow for them to join a gym. Um, You know, maybe people are thinking, gosh, I have to go to a special place. I have to buy special clothes. I have to do, you know, Mm -hmm. can you just, just a couple quick tips about how to exercise safely at home and really start a program within your home, within your neighborhood so that it's, you know, I think it's important that folks listening today know that this is accessible to everyone, regardless of where you live. Right. Well, some cancer exercise specialists work with people through Skype, so that's a good uh, mm. good mm-hmm. option. And then, of course, you know, just to start off, you can just uh, walk a few minutes daily, slowly increasing the time uh, right right near your house, adding your relaxation, breathing. But the best advice that I can give, if you don't have a program mm-hmm. near you, is to exercise using specially made DVDs for cancer survivors. Uh, a lot of people prefer to exercise in the comfort of their own home. You don't have to deal with uh, uh, conditions of uh, perhaps a person uh, near you having a cold and the immune system could be compromised. You can exercise when it's convenient and when it works uh, for your own schedule. And, and this way at home, uh, if you're taking care of kids or your parents, you don't have to uh, pay for uh, any type of uh, babysitting mm-hmm. services. So mm-hmm. there are actually some benefits to exercising at home. 
And uh, DVDs yeah. are a great way to do this. Yeah. Improved exercise compliance through DVD can really improve yeah. your physical well-being. No, that's great. I think that's great advice uh, for our listeners. I want to thank you, Carol, for being here on the show today and for the important work uh, you're doing to help those living with cancer. Again, it's, it's, uh, these are topics, uh, the diet and exercise, that are uh, of great interest to people and really a way that people can be empowered and take some control through the cancer journey. Um, it's it's uh, been my pleasure to have you join us today. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I just want to remind folks that uh, uh, please be sure to consult with your healthcare team, with your doctor, before making any changes to your diet or exercise habits. I want to remind folks that we've got a lot of great information and support services for anyone with any kind of cancer, all stage of their their disease. We've got 50 affiliates around the country. We've got a great uh, online community. We've got a helpline at 888-793-9355. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org to find out about all of those free programs for people with cancer and their loved ones. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well. Do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.